Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. From the Society for Nautical Research, in partnership with Lloyd's Register Foundation, I'm Sam Willis, and this is the Mariner's Mirror podcast. The world's number one podcast dedicated to all of maritime history. Hello everyone and welcome to the Mariner's Mirror podcast. Now I've been wanting to do a mini-series on port towns for some time now and the lovely Mark Vasey from the Scarborough Maritime Heritage Centre got in touch simply bubbling with pride over his own town of Scarborough and sure enough it has a fascinating little history and one well worth sharing. Scarborough is famed for its medieval herring fair. Yes, that's the Scarborough fair that was made famous in the song by Simon and Garfunkel. But it was also one of the largest shipbuilding ports in the country, with 12 yards on its seafront, rope and sailmaking in the town. Scarborough-built ships have travelled the world encountering pirates, transporting convicts, and Scottish herring lasses travelled down from the north to work in the herring industry, while rich gentlemen travelled up from the south to catch enormous tuna in the North Sea. You simply will not believe the size of the fish that these men caught in the 19th century. To find out more, I gave Mark a call. As ever, I hope you enjoy listening to him as much as I enjoyed talking with him. Here is a man awash with local maritime history. He's caught on the tuna hook of Scarborough's past and is now committed to sharing it as widely as possible. Here is Mark. Mark, thank you very much indeed for joining me this morning. Sam, it's a great pleasure. Thank you. So we're talking about Scarborough, but I should just say to our listeners that you are currently not in Scarborough, are you? Why don't you tell everyone where you are? I'm uh, just travelling around France at the moment, so uh, I shall be back in Scarborough at the end of July. <laughs> Very nice indeed to have a bit of a bit of a break. We've been trying to catch up for uh, for a couple of weeks now. Um, are you born and bred in Scarborough? I'm not. I'm a Londoner, and my maritime connections are purely through my sort of grandparents who worked in the East End in the docks. Um, uh, so coming to Scarborough has been a, a whole new chapter in my life. Uh, um, becoming the chairman of the Scarborough Maritime Heritage Centre wasn't expected, that one. <laughs> no, but well done you. I hugely admire your enthusiasm and energy to find out about it. I suppose it's all East Coast though, isn't it? London's East Coast, Scarborough's East Coast, so you do share a bit of heritage. That's right, and I was particularly enjoyed your last podcast about the Essex coastline and the boat building mm. there, um, and Scarborough obviously had its own 
boat and shipbuilding, its own particular form of, uh, well, they call it the Yorkshire Cobble. Uh, and we built huge ships here that took convicts to Australia. You know, it, people think of it as a seaside resort, but it was an industrial town uh, going back a few centuries. Mm. Tell what's a Yorkshire Cobble? Tell us about that. A Yorkshire Cobble is a small uh, sort of inshore rowing boat, um, and it's uh, got a kind of slightly Viking shape to it. It's got a, nice. a, a you know, a, a keel, um, a double keel, so you can land on the on the beach without it tipping over. Um, mm. And they're very robust in the North Sea. Uh, they make slightly larger, three man and five man cobbles uh i believe they call them cobbles in other places but it's your typical sort of local long line fishing boat uh and they were built with uh, uh trees you know from um probably probably from the castle howard estate and the forests of pickering all oh, right and, and with the, do they carry a sail or is it just oars yeah they had sails as well and um I mean, the the last boatyard in Scarborough closed in 2009, which was when right. we opened the Maritime Centre. And, and mm. they actually donated us their steaming box and the moulds to make a Yorkshire cobble. So we could uh, technically reproduce one if, if we had the skills to do it. But uh, there's not many people mm. left that can remember how to do it now. <laughs> no, that's a shame. But at least you've got um, somewhere to start. Yeah. Did they have a had, I've just got a Viking ship in my mind with a big square sail. Did they have a fore and aft sail? No, no, just a main sail in the middle. Um, and as I say, long lining uh, was the kind of local fishing. They didn't really go out very far at that, that time. Um, and, uh, you know, a very sustainable way of fishing, long line fishing, of course. The, uh, How do you women, do it? Uh, well, the, the women and children used to go down to the rocks early in the morning and pick the flithers off, as they call them, which are what we'd call probably whelks, isn't it, in, from London end. Um, yeah. And... Um, the uh, the women baited the hooks, so you had a long line, about 500 yards of, of line, uh, with about 500 hooks. They baited the hooks with the flithers, and then uh, wound that up on what they call a skep, which is like a wicker tray, carried it down, yeah. and then men would row out in the cobble, feed the line out behind, uh, and, and you know, you caught enough fish for yourself, and to sell, and for your family, very sustainable. Um, and of course, all mm. that changed with uh, trawling, uh, and the invention of steam and yeah. diesel. <laughs> did they? Um, did they just sort of they they took the line out and then just left it there for a certain amount of time and then brought it back in, hopefully with fish attached? Or are they are they kind of slowly pulling the line back in to kind of get the fish to go for the bait? Yeah, I mean we we do have some glass floats, um, some quite old glass floats. So I'd imagine they may have tied the end of the line to a glass float and left it uh, and come yeah. back to it. But they also might have rowed as well. Um, yeah, hmm. both techniques probably would have worked at different times of year, maybe. Fascinating. And what are they catching? Uh, mostly herring. Uh, Scarborough was the fifth largest herring port in the country at one time. Um, right. And uh, we all know the song Scarborough Fair that was sung by Simon and Garfunkel. Hmm. And that is yeah. based around um, this huge uh, medieval herring fair. That the, the herring swim past Scarborough in August in the summertime. So it was a place that um, a lot of fishermen came to. The Dutch came over. Uh, we had uh, people up from the south coast and the Scots coming down uh, from the north uh, to, to, to all fish the herring off Scarborough in the summer. And if you read the very old 
sort of uh, uh, reports, you know, from the 1700s, you could literally scoop the herring out of the sea with a bucket. They were in their millions. Wow. The sea shimmered wow. silver. <laughs> you didn't even need I... a, a hook or a line. No, I mean, and I've always find it fascinating how localised thing a phenomenon like this was. So we think it was like that off Scarborough, but it wasn't, for example, off Berwick, which is a little bit further north, but not too far away. Yeah, I mean, certainly the Scots uh, herring lasses, as we call them, travelled down uh, from sort of Peterborough end, the herring you know, started to migrate down the south coast in the summer, and the, the Scottish uh, boats followed the herring down, and the Scottish lasses caught the train or walked, um, and so Scarborough would be mobbed in the in the summer with these Scottish herring lasses, and there's lots of lovely old photos of the whole, uh, of the harbour area covered in wooden barrels, and these women uh, gutting the herring, 60 a minute, allegedly, the fastest one, that's one a second. <laughs> that's unbelievable. Yeah. A, a whirlwind. Yeah, incredible. And they would do that, you know, from dawn till dusk as the fish kept coming in, all their hands got very sore with the salt and oh, the sharp good. knives and the and the fish scales, but they made a lot of money uh, and, and had a good time, did a lot of drinking, and even married a few uh, Scarborough men. You know, there are uh, connections with some Scottish families uh, going oh. back. So they came down specifically just for, as, as a, as a uh, working, labouring job to gut the fish to then so the fish could then be taken off elsewhere. Was the fish put on ice? How did they get it somewhere else? It was in uh, in salt in the early days. In the barrels, it would have gone in with salt. Yeah. Um, and a lot of the salted herring... Uh, was exported, funnily enough, to sort of Spain and France. They preferred the, the salted herring. Um, later, of course, 1845, the railway arrived in Scarborough, and that took a lot of fish off. And, of course, the, the British had a flavour for uh, sort of cod, really, didn't they? Haddock. So that went into the big cities. So Scarborough's, as I say, it's, it's been a, you know, if you're looking at the harbour these days, there's, there's only a couple of trawlers um, and, and mostly it's crab and lobster and, um, you know, that sort of fishing, shell fishing, really. Yeah, it's all, all fundamentally changed. Just going back to these um, railways, I'm fascinated by this. I wonder if they had refrigerated cars. Um, I think in the early days, probably not. The, um, we've certainly read tales that the, uh, the rail lines got so slippy from all the oil dripping from the herring that the trains That's couldn't disgusting. move. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my God, imagine the smell. <laughs> <laughs> so um, the other thing that these herring uh, um, attract, of course, uh, is other types of fishermen because the herring itself can be baked, can't it? That's right, yeah, and, and certainly they did attract other species, and, and one of which, of course, was the uh, tuna fish, bluefin tuna. And in the 1930s to the 1950s, uh, Scarborough was the kind of uh, UK centre for tuna fishing. Uh, we had very rich people coming up here, Lord Baron Rothschild, Hedley Lewis, Colonel, P uh, Colonel Peel, um, and mm. a, a chap called William Walter Dowding. All very rich men came up and, and uh, fished for these tuna that weighed the biggest, weighed 821 pounds. Um, yeah, I, mean, I was uh, being completely blown away by this, and I've been looking into it a bit myself. I didn't believe it. I thought it was a kind of um, 
a, a photoshopped joke yeah. that people were catching uh, fish. I mean, there was one with a guy standing next to a tuna that looks like the size of a cow. Yes. I mean, it's the biggest fish I've ever seen. Yeah, well, that may have been, that may be the eight hundred twenty-one pound one, and there was an argument over that by one of the other members of the of the Tunny Club that the the wet rope that was holding the fish up weighed a pound, so he reckoned it was eight hundred twenty pounds <laughs> and not eight hundred twenty-one. <laughs> yeah. Oh wow, there was some pride there, wasn't there? Yeah. That's a fascinating story. How were they? How were they catching them? What, what? Hang on. What period is this? Is this nineteen nineteen thirties to fifties? That's right. Um, and they just with a rod and line. I mean, local fishermen would use their cobbles to row out. Uh, the 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 tunny fishermen were harnessed into the boat on a special seat uh, and their rod was harnessed to them Um, you know this is like a scene from Jaws you know once they get hold of the 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 bait they they would pull the boat along so um, yeah they would fish and and it would take a couple of hours to land them till the tuna were worn out and then they would use a huge gaff hook and then pull it onto a trawler uh, you know or or one of their yachts that was there um, we've got one photo of a woman uh, fishing. There was one woman that caught some fish, which is great. Um, but it uh, it all died out in the 50s because we overfished the herring, really. The herring stopped coming, uh, or the numbers were very severely reduced. Um, mm. So they've not reappeared. Occasionally there are sightings of very small bluefin tuna off the coast yeah. of Scarborough. Uh, we get porpoises as well. Um, but yeah, mm. if, if they came back, they'd be worth an absolute fortune. That that sort of size of fish, they say, would be worth about ten thousand pounds in fresh tuna. <laughs> wow! Wow! How amazing! Um, I'm I more more needs to be known about this. So I'm a fisherman myself. You see, I'm quite interested in this. What? How do you? What did they make their rods out of? Do you have any idea? What were they fishing with in yeah, 1930s? They're very strong. Um, have you ever heard of of Zane Gray? No. He's an American fisherman. If you Google Zane Gray, he was a he was actually a writer. He wrote scripts and uh, uh, books, uh, non-fiction, a uh, fiction book, sorry. Um, and um, he made a, a, a thing called a Zane Gray rod and reel, freshwater saltwater reel, and they're right. really uh, strong, very short, stubby uh, fishing rods. And the uh, the reels were made by Hardys of Annick. Uh, very expensive. They have uh, a royal seal on them. They were made by royal approval. Stainless steel, and they're eight-inch reels. Absolutely, you can hardly lift the things um, with a very strong line. You can imagine eight hundred pound line. <laughs> um, yeah, and, like a rope. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so these things around. We have got a rod and reel in in the centre from the nineteen thirties. Um, uh, we've got the whole history of what it caught and, uh, and uh, who fished with it. It was an amazing. Oh, that's wonderful. Time. Mm. Yeah, I've just found one actually. Um, this was uh, sold by Bonhams. It is an eighty-two-inch Palacona fishing rod that's by it. the Hardy Brothers of Annick in six alternating hexagonal sections of bamboo and hickory. So mm. wow, with brass and steel fittings. So short but incredibly strong. Yeah. Um, I suppose bamboo gives you the bend and hickory gives you the strength. Yes, yeah, yeah, absolutely amazing. And as I say, they set up the British Tunny Club in Scarborough. So it's now a fish and chip shop. And there's pictures of all these guys in their suits and ties with their pipes. And, and they used to, um, funnily enough, they didn't used to eat the tuna. They used to uh, flog it to local farmers to plough into their fields. <laughs> 
it rather terribly, but they would stuff the tail. So there was lots of pictures of these stuffed uh, tunny tails in the club. Mm. Do any survive? We've got any in the museum? Uh, we haven't got a tail. Uh, there's a Scarborough Gallery uh, might have one, I think. Uh, I think they had one stuffed tuna. Quite hard things to keep, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. Well, fascinating stuff. Now, um, a bit later on in life, um, tell us about Scarborough becoming a seaside resort. Well, of course, it's the first seaside resort in Britain. Um, 1626, uh, spa water was discovered, basically dribbling out the cliff. Um, and uh, a local uh, woman, Mrs. Farrah, discovered that if you drink a pint or two of it, it acts like a laxative and flushes you through. (laughs) (laughs) What a fine discovery. (laughs) So um, apparently in those days, back in the 1600s, people suffered a lot um, from constipation. Their diets were very poor. So they could come to Scarborough and it was recommended they drink seven or eight pints of this a day and it would flush them through. Um, (laughs) And then a bit later, I think 1670, uh, a Dr. Whitty discovered that if you throw people into the freezing cold North Sea, they come out feeling amazingly good. So uh, (laughs) So you you have to have the eight pints of... (laughs) At the same time, yeah, I would imagine. So sea bathing was really kind of promoted and invented here. The first bathing machines uh, for women to get changed in. Uh, were about 1735. Uh, the men used to swim completely naked, apparently, uh, but the women had to be covered, you know, from head to foot uh, mm. without showing an ankle. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Or an elbow. So tell us about this water. Where does the water, the water coming out of the cliff, does that bubble up from some kind of underground 
source. It's just a spring, basically, from the bottom of the cliff. The um, Scarborough's sort it's of... It's just, just normal water, so it's not like hot water. It's not like no, you have a bath or something. No, it's not at all. No, it's it's just uh, what we'd call mineral water, I suppose, these days. Um, yeah. And they and they bottled it, bottled it and sold it. I mean, sadly, today, <laughs> all we've got is a little rusty dribble coming out with a little plaque saying, this is, do not drink the water. Um, no. Uh, what I'd really like about that story is that someone had a couple of pints of it and gave them the trots. And then as they were sitting there in their gripey misery, they went, do you know what? I can make a fortune out of this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Entrepreneurship, yeah. <laughs> Very good. Um, so the, the sea bathing thing is also quite interesting. So i tell you why it's interesting, because uh, I live in a bit of um, regional competitiveness here. I live in Devon, right? And I would argue that some of the beaches in the southwest are a bit better than up, up in Scarborough for sea bathing. Mm. And I'm wondering why it happened up there and not down here or in Brighton or somewhere like nearer London. You know, yes. it, it seems strange to me. Yeah. Brighton was about 50 years later than Scarborough. You know, if you speak to it's most a seriously people, long time. Yeah. 50 years. Yeah. yeah. Well, that I mean, we're talking historically proven uh, facts. So there, I think there's a letter from um, some lady visiting Scarborough, you know, in 1730 or something, saying, I've come here to take the waters and and bathe in the sea. So that, you know, yeah. history is about facts, isn't it? So we don't know what happened before yeah. that. But certainly, historically, isn't it, people were afraid of the sea. There were monsters in the sea. It was dangerous. It drowned fishermen. It was a place that people kept away from. Um, so the invention of the, well, the, the discovery of the spa water attracted people to Scarborough. It was a port where they smuggled brandy and tobacco and yeah. tea and everything. So there was already a beginnings of um, an interest in Scarborough as a place to go to drink water and gamble and drink. Um, and then obviously this invention of freezing cold water making you feel a lot better in yourself um added yeah. to that really so yeah you know why specifically scarborough not devon or or, uh, or brighton um only history can tell us really yeah it's interesting also hearing about the um the herring are being so thick you could scoop them out in in a basket and also the size of these tuners these cow-sized tuners the, the point is is that there were monsters in the sea and everyone, you know, it's quite easy to ridicule it. But actually, if you look at these old charts, they've got huge creatures that even the normal fish were massive, like a cod. Yes. Yeah, at least a yard long, weren't they? The old photos of Scarborough Fish Market, the cod are lying there. And, they're, yeah, they're, as long, they're, they're over a yard long, metre long. Um, and it's because we allowed fish to grow to their maximum capacity. And, and now if you see, you know, Sainsbury's has got, tins of tuna and it says ethically caught by rod and line but if you see the videos they're pulling out little fish you know they might be 12 inches long they're babies they're not they're not letting them live long enough to to grow to the sizes they could um and yeah you'll know from all the old sea charts all they had was pictures of monsters all over them wasn't it really yeah yeah and you also have some fascinating military history up there maritime military history tell us about john paul jones Oh, goodness. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's a real um, saga with John Paul Jones. He was a Scottish uh, captain. And um, during the American War of Independence, he, uh, he he was sailing a French ship called the Bonhomme Richard. 
um, and he sailed uh, along the east coast of Britain, uh, specifically off Flamborough Head, which is a, a few miles south of Scarborough, um, and decided to attack some English shipping. So this is in 1779. So this is, uh, as far as I'm aware, this is the only ever recorded uh, attack of the British ships uh, by American ships in English waters. Yeah, it certainly gave the English a hell of a fright. Um, and also you have a famous, uh, a famous admiral born in Scarborough. Tell us about John Lawson. Yes, he's, he's very, there's very little um, actually publicly uh, known about him. Fortunately, um, a, a woman's written a new biography about him. So Sir Admiral Sir John Lawson was born within a few yards of the Maritime Heritage Centre in Scarborough. I think the house, uh, the original house is probably gone now, but there's a blue plaque um, on the corner of the street there. Born in 1615, um, and so he, he was a, a son of a merchant, um, a local merchant. And in 1642, he was a captain during the Civil War, um, and he helped um, Hull that was being besieged and he helped uh, blockade the Royalists in Scarborough. Scarborough changed hands a few times between uh, <laughs> the Royalists. Um, and um, he sort of went on to get quite heavily involved uh, with, with civil wars, basically. So in 1659, he uh, took uh, the, the, the fleet, as they call it, to the mouth of the Thames um, to stop uh, this sort of revolution going on against Parliament by the, the civil, uh, uh, the army uprising. So he was, uh, he supported the Parliament and, and, and changed the course of history, really, although he was a royalist at the time. Um, and he was sort of, uh, Cromwell didn't like him, locked him up for a little while. But then after, after that all sort of settled down, King Charles II knighted him um, and then he went on uh, to fight in Anglo-Dutch wars. Uh, he was in the Azores, and he, I think he was wounded in Lowestoft in the Second Dutch War, died in 1665. So amazing story of a little Scarborough lad <laughs> that really did some very interesting things in history and, you know, really not uh, commemorated in, in any great shape or form locally in Scarborough. We're, we're trying to change that. Yeah, well, it's a fascinating story. An amazing period as well. I'm very interested in that period. Um, well, let's just finish off. Tell us about your um, your red phone box, which is the world's smallest maritime heritage centre. This sounds brilliant. Yeah, uh, a couple of years ago, just before lockdown, uh, COVID lockdown, um, a local uh, a woman approached us and said, um, the, the red telephone, the last red telephone box on the seafront by the harbour is going to be removed. BT are going to take it away. Everybody's got a mobile phone. Nobody's using it. Um, you know, surely this is a his historical thing. Can't we do something to save it? So we contacted them. And for the uh, princely price of a pound, we adopted it. Um, <laughs> as you'll probably know, some phone boxes have turned into a defibrillator um, sort of sites or libraries. Uh, so we decided to do a mini maritime museum. So we've got some lovely black and white pictures in there of the harbour um, in the early days. And we've got an audio recording when you go in, the light comes on as an audio recording. And I think the best thing for me about it is we found a photograph of a Victorian man standing 
on the exact spot this phone box is <laughs> in about 1890 or something. Uh, little did he know, you know, the phone was going to be invented and he would have been standing in our phone box. <laughs> <laughs> That's wonderful. Mark, thank you for sharing these wonderful stories with us. And um, hopefully it will encourage lots of people to go and visit Scarborough and to investigate uh, the wonderful maritime history of that area. Great. Thank you very much. Now, thank you all so much for listening to that episode. I hope to bring you more Port Town material soon in the coming months. Please remember that the podcast comes from both the Lloyds Register Foundation and the Society for Nautical Research. You must do everything you can to find out what those two brilliant institutions are up to. In particular, please check out Maritime Innovation in Miniature. It's the Lloyds Register Foundation's Heritage and Education Centre's latest project, filming the world's best ship models with the latest camera equipment. It's absolutely phenomenal. And you can join the Society for Nautical Research at snr.org.uk. It's a fantastic way not only of finding out about the maritime past from the very best in the business, but also it's a brilliant place to meet people and to have a nice time whilst you're learning. You can't fault it at all.